really the, I think the first major turning point we had that was honestly sheer luck was the ability to pitch Mark Cuban and Mark Burnett. We know that building wealth comes from owning businesses and making investments. Yet why still do nearly half of businesses fail in the first five years and why do others lose it all in their investments? Welcome to the Wealth Watchers podcast, your resource for building a massive net worth. We bring real stories from real people who are experts in business and investing who will share secrets and actionable strategies to amassing wealth and achieving success. Brought to you by Happy Camper Capital. And now, your hosts, Justin Hoggett and Adam Lendy. Welcome back to the Wealth Watchers Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Lundy. With me is my co-host, Justin Hoggett. Justin, how are you doing today? Hey, today's a great day, Adam. How are you doing? I'm doing really fantastic. Thanks for asking. Um, I'm totally excited about our guest today. Um, you know, this one just kind of fell out of the sky for us. You know, we got uh, we got a response to one of our requests for guests. And uh, this young gentleman on today, Anthony Zhang, um, has quite the story. I'm excited to hear kind of about overcoming adversity and really just persevering through to do some amazing things. Yeah, uh, building business and um, and building the leadership team. And uh, so, Anthony, welcome on. Justin and Adam, thank you so much. And it's great to be on. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us today. Um, you know, like I said, your story when we kind of read through the bio really moved us quite a bit. And, and you know, it's uh, we, we'd love to get some background from you here shortly, kind of learn where you've been, um, where you are now and kind of where you're going and just really the motivating factors that got you there. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So um, if you just want to start off and uh, just kind of tell us who you are and what it is you do, you know, we'll kind of dig into your backstory after that. Cool. So I'm one of the co-founders and CEO of VinoVest. Our company aims to make it easy for anybody to access the asset class of fine wine, which has traditionally really been inaccessible, only available to ultra wealthy, yet highly lucrative. It actually has had returns that's beaten out the S&P over the past few decades. And um, we want to make it open so that anybody can get into this awesome asset class and diversify. Great. So Anthony, take us back, obviously, prior to VinoVest and just kind of let us know um, kind of where you come from and, and just kind of where, where life is taking you. Yeah, so um, I grew up with uh, immigrant parents, came here to the States for high school. And after high school, I went to USC, knew that I wanted a business degree, knew that I wanted to really one day own my own business. So I thought the traditional path was go four years of college, maybe get an awesome job out of college in consulting or investment banking or, or real estate, and then go back and get my MBA, and then maybe I'd be ready to start a company. Uh, freshman year, a couple weeks into it, my college roommate and I decided to start a food delivery business called Envoy Now, and that snowballed into a full-fledged startup, uh, ended up dropping out of school for it and spending the next almost four years building that business. And um, in, in late 2016 is when that first business got acquired. So uh, really just kind of got hooked on entrepreneurship and have been, been building businesses ever since. And great. What, what came up with that idea? Um, you know, just being a hungry, lazy college student. Right? You're always hungry, especially at late, late times in the night. And at the time, you know, the DoorDashes and Postmates of the world um, 
it was very hard for them to deliver to a college campus because there's all these dorm names or all these side streets that people who were not students uh, did not know how to access or just couldn't access because they didn't have student IDs. So it was just me and my friend. We were doing the deliveries ourselves. And because we knew the campus so well, we were able to make really fast and efficient deliveries so that someone did not need to leave their couch. And I'm sure as you know, with food delivery, the difference in like five minutes can make a whole world of difference with the quality of food, your experience, you know, not getting hangry to want to complain. <laughs> so uh, we were all about efficiency and friendliness with our first business. Um, so how big has that did that business scale when you sold it? So we started on one campus at USC, uh, was able to raise some funding and at the end of the business, I think we had around 22 markets nationwide. Uh, we had over 100,000 students who had used the app. Great. And what, what would you learn from that that uh, prepared you for your next venture? Um, I think the main thing is like, it's all right to be always learning. Um, I felt really intimidated as a first time founder, um, as someone who didn't even have a college degree and who really knew nothing about running a business. And um, I just had this almost student's mentality in terms of asking a lot of people for advice and um, you know trying to make the right decision with everything. And then I think with my second and third businesses realized that no one really has the answers. You gotta just go with your gut sometimes, um, trust yourself, trust the people that you've hired. And uh, it's better to just like make decisions quickly and learn from them rather than agonize over if you're getting to 100% or not. And how many employees did you end up with, with on that? Um, that, was, that was a pretty small company. So, um, you know, if you count delivery drivers as well, like contractors, we had over 1,000. But, you know, the core team was, was quite small. We had like, I think, 15, 20 people. Okay. Yeah. So it was efficient. Yeah. It's pretty good for a venture. Pardon? That was pretty good for a first venture. Yeah, it was, um, you know, learned a ton, made a ton of mistakes. But at the end of the day, I think that's what helped me realize that I wanted to do this forever and, and not go back to school after it all ended. So after you sold Envoy Now, what, what happened next? I started my second business, which was called Know Your VC. Um, and Know Your VC is a platform essentially like a Yelp or a Glassdoor but instead of rating companies and rating restaurants and such, we were rating VCs and angel investors. And this really stemmed from a movement in early 2017 where a lot of really brave entrepreneurs came out to the press about some horrific um, encounters that they had with venture capitalists. Some were being really, really racist against minority founders. Some were actually sexually harassing or discriminating female founders. And Given my experience fundraising, you know, definitely wasn't easy by any means, but, you know, as a male, as someone who, um, you know, is American, didn't really face any of these sort of uh, really terrible things that happened. And I thought that, you know, these people just need to be held more accountable, right? It's already a huge power imbalance where you're literally asking someone for money and they have the gates, uh, you know, they have the keys to the gate in terms of unlocking that next level of growth for your business. And I just thought that those people shouldn't abuse founders who are the ones that are actually doing the hard work. And that was in 2017. Yeah, that was in 2017. Um, and I think given the social plan of the time, you know, the whole Harvey Weinstein 
Me Too movement was starting to bubble up. So I think there was just a lot of, um, you know, a lot of excitement, a lot of, I think, anger on, on a lot of the injustices that were happening. And what kind of doors did that open for you? Um, I think for me, it was just doing something that I fully, fully believed in. It wasn't even meant to be a company. It just started as a side project where I was talking with some friends. We're both really upset. We're like, what can we do about this situation? I don't want to just be a bystander. Um, and this project came together, you know, whipped up the website in less than two weeks. And we just released it into the wild, not really knowing what would happen. And when it started really gaining traction, was we're like, oh, holy crap, we might be onto something here. Um, and, uh, you know, we learned a lot in terms of just being able to be a mission focused company. We were, didn't make a single dollar. Uh, we wanted to serve the entrepreneur. And um, that was a completely different experience for me than the first one, which was, you know, venture backed all about the bottom line and growing revenue and growing headcount. Is Know Your VC still around today? Yeah. So we were acquired about a year later um, by a company called Rate My Investor. So uh, the company still exists today. It's called Rate My Investor. And I'm still on the board of that company, no longer involved in the day to day. But um, that company is doing some pretty amazing work with publishing data on you know, key facts around diversity, around hiring, um, around the good actors and the bad actors in the space so that um, first time entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs from outside of Silicon Valley who don't have a million and one connections can be able to find the right people to fund their company. It's fantastic. So uh, know your VC, obviously you're on the board still. So you moved on from that. What, what was next for you, Anthony? So um, during that time, you know, it was really the crypto wave, right? Like 2017, 2016, it was just a hobby for me, but um, I ended up coming on as the head of marketing for a crypto company called Blockfolio. Um, so Blockfolio is one of the market leaders um, in terms of being a really easy consumer interface, uh, you know, easy to price track, easy to be able to link your wallet and buy and sell cryptos. And uh, that was really my next experience. And um, that actually really, I think, formed a lot of my interest in alternative assets in general. You know, when you're meeting people who are crazy enough to invest in crypto back in the day, they're inve investing in all sorts of other stuff. So I've seen people invest in antique violins, invest in, um, you know, music royalties, and then finally wine. That's, that's when I first got that inkling of like, hey, investing in wine could be pretty cool. How can I make this easier for people like me or people who didn't even know investing in wine existed? Um, and that's really, I think, when the, the seeds for, for VinoVest started to be planted. Did you have any other investments at the time that you were, you were playing with, or was this just kind of a, a new experiment for you? I was playing around in almost everything. So real estate, litigation, finance, angel investing, um, you know, fractional, uh, fractional ownership of different collectibles. So I, I really tried out pretty much anything. I think um, just as a passion, wanted to learn about new ways to invest and make money. And wine just made the most sense to me because it's a tangible asset. I understand that wine actually gets better as it gets older and matures in the bottle. And it had that just very clear supply and demand curve where you know, the more and more wine somebody drinks from a particular year, it makes the remaining supply that much more valuable because you can't undrink a bottle of wine, right? And so demand's gonna increase. And those fundamentals just from a pure economic standpoint made a lot of sense to me. 
uh, made it feel less speculative than a lot of the other investments I was going into. And um, you know, perhaps most importantly, I love drinking wine. So it was a really fun thing for me to do. And I was like, if the worst thing that could happen is I got a bunch of expensive wine to drink, it's really not too risky of it. <laughs> yeah, worst problem to have, right? Exactly, right? So if you can combine a passion with something that can make you profit, I think you're in a pretty good spot to start. Great. Um, can I want to maybe go back even further for a moment. And, and kind of one of the things we like to talk about is mindset and <clears throat> understanding like really what it is that got you focused and started. And so can maybe, do you know where you got your mindset and how to, and how, what made you such a successful entrepreneur? I think um, I'm definitely far from a successful entrepreneur. I'd love to get there someday. Um, but I think with my mindset, um, it's really built over time through experiences that I've had, um, through people that I've taught, um, through people that I've learned from. So I think you know, developing, I think, a successful entrepreneur mindset or being a successful entrepreneur is always a journey and um, you know, something that you also need to practice at almost every day because if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. That's right. Always learning. Uh, did you did you have good mentors along the way? Did you have the proper help? I think that just because I um, you know left school so early, I just always had that kind of like student type of um, mentality where I wanted to reach out, I wanted to learn, I wanted to have really no ego and know that other people have done it before or better than me and really emulate them. So um, I don't have like a mentor per se, but there are a ton of people, um, whether it be my previous investors, whether it be advisors to my company, or most of all, even just like fellow founders and community that I found that have been extremely helpful with helping me navigate obstacles, help me run into or um, help me troubleshoot things when I run into trouble. So um, I've had a pretty large support network in, in that sense. Great. So one of the things that we also talk about is, is always taking action, right? Um, a lot of, a lot of people I've talked to in the past, a lot of uh, questions always come up is, is just getting started. And, and um, my number one thing to, that I suggest to people is just take action, right? I mean, like you can work out some of the details later. You don't have to have every answer right out the gate, you know? And so it's, it sounds like you took that, that path. Exactly. Um, I completely agree with you. It's actually one of the key tenets for our culture and values at Minovest is default to action. So what that means, even in the early days, um, we did not know that, you know, there would be a market for people interested in investing in wine. Um, how did we test it out? We just whipped up a quick landing page, no code on Optimizely. We started running, I think maybe like $200, $300 worth of Facebook ads to the site. And it was just you know, just a lead generation form where we're adding people to the wait list. And then I would call everybody on the wait list and just ask them like, Hey, what would you want out of a product like this? How, what made you interested? How much money would you put in? And then finally, when we had hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of interest, then we we're like, all right, then we can go to an engineer and be like, Hey, we have hundred thousand dollars worth of interest. Let's build this website because we, we really had nothing to really show for or build right now. It's kind of, um, kind of like, you know, running a train, but also building the train tracks as it's being run. Um, and uh, it's all right, I think, to be scrappy like that. Um, as long as you're honest with everybody, um, I think a lot of people will appreciate that scrappiness too. So totally agree. Just getting 
you know, just default to action, just do it. It doesn't need to be perfect. It's probably going to be bad and fail, but if you already go into it knowing that, then I think you'll have much better results with, with mining your expectations with reality. So Anthony, between um, Blockfolio and VinoVest, were there any other ventures in there? Um, no. So it was pretty much straight into it. Um, spent a couple of years at Blockfolio, just being fully immersed in the crypto world. And that's really where I think the interest for you know other alternatives as well as now Lion have, have emerged. So what I think most listeners are going to hear is somebody who just maybe maybe hit the right numbers and just, you know, leapfrog from success to success along the way, right? Um, you know, although we as entrepreneurs along with you know that that's not always the case. There, there are a lot more rainy days than there are, you know, sunny ones as you're getting to that success. So what, what would you say are the lessons you learned along that path to get from where you were starting that food delivery business in college to where you are today? Yeah, I think that's really a great uh, thing to bring up because... I too, you know, you, when you're looking at all these like funding announcements or success stories, you're like, oh my God, these guys and girls are geniuses. How are they doing this? You know, perfect idea, perfect timing. They got all the funding. Um, and like you said, there's definitely more raining days than, than sunny ones. And um, actually before my first business got acquired, before Envoy Now got acquired, I got into a horrific accident where I broke my neck. The shattering of the bones led to me um, having a spinal cord injury uh, at the C5 vertebrae, which means that I became a quadriplegic instantly. Uh, really had no movement of anything below my neck and shoulders and spent six weeks in an ICU, four and a half months on a ventilator, not even able to breathe. And pretty much the next year in rehab facilities, spending six, seven hours a day learning to do the most basic things like breathe on my own, like being able to even have the strength to push a wheelchair myself, um, like something as simple as like feeding, you know, feeding myself or even brushing my, my own teeth. Um, I had to have help doing that for almost two years. Um, and you couple all those sort of like personal battles with running a business. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of other things in play, right? And uh, I think also part of why I love um, running companies so much is that it's something that I'm still able to do, even though my body doesn't work the way that it used to. I'm still in a wheelchair today, um, but thanks to technology, I'm able to talk to people like you, you know, where I don't even know where you guys live and I'm, I'm in a whole other part of the world, right? And getting to meet and hire people and do business and still do a lot of what I'm used to be good at and what I really was passionate about. Um, but, you know, my injury is still living with me today. You know, spinal cord injuries are unfortunately permanent. Um, and all of those sort of personal struggles definitely flood into the workplace when you're an entrepreneur and, you know, your work is pretty much your life. I think it's easy for people to let a challenge in one area of their life flood over into other areas of their life as well. And no doubt what you've been through, what, you know, was a catastrophic, you know, personal challenge. Um, what, what would you say motivated you to keep going? Because when, when a lot of people would be ready to just throw in the towel and say, you know what, I've got this ailment and I'm, I'm, I'm damaged goods and I can't do anything. Like what kept you going and building a successful business in that environment? Yeah, I mean, I spent uh, many weeks just staring at the ceiling of a hospital bed com contemplating just that. It's so easy to just give up and be like, all right, uh, 
never going to go back to work again. It's impossible. How can I do that in a wheelchair? Um, but I was really, really lucky to have my then girlfriend, now fiance, really by my side every single day. She was really um, not only my biggest cheerleader, but my coach, someone who would kick me in the ass and be like, you got to go to therapy today. And I was like, I don't want to, I'm tired or I'm not feeling it, right? Like um, a lot of times people just need that kick in the ass or those constant kicks in the ass, like really get that first momentum. And then when it becomes a habit, it just feels like second nature. So I'm really, really thankful to her for sticking by me, um, for really dropping all of her priorities to focus on mine during those really early days. And even now, uh, she's the person I go to when anything um, goes wrong in the business. And she's sort of my, uh, my unofficial real CEO that runs the company. So I had a little insight um, from your publicist before you came on that you acquired some capital along the way from a um, pretty big name person. So I'm, I'm kind of I'm, I'm curious to know the story. I know you've got some ties to the venture capital world and, you know, and, and equity funding and such. So just curious to hear that story. Yeah. So um, with my first business, Envoy Now, really the I think the first major turning point we had that was honestly sheer luck was the ability to pitch Mark Cuban and Mark Burnett. Um, big, big Shark Tank fans, um, big fan of Mark Burnett as well, with all the amazing programs he's produced from like Survivor to like, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Um, and they came to my school to be a guest speaker one night. I skipped class wanting to just listen to them. And at the end of that session, he just started picking students from the stage to be like, hey, who wants to pitch a real shark? I was waving my hand like crazy, got picked up and, you know, I was, I was, you know, really crapping my pants because I had nothing rehearsed. I'm like, oh my God, is this really real talking with a billionaire and uh, came out of that experience, that pitch with a hundred thousand dollar offer between them for 10% of my company, which valued my company at a million dollars. And I was like, holy crap, a million dollars. That's such a huge number. Um, and getting to talk to him after that night, you know, after being like, all right, all the excitement's died down. Um, he's like, well, you shouldn't be in school. If you really want to pursue this and take this money and do something with it quickly, the best way to learn is just do it. And um, I believed him. And I think he gave me the confidence to be able to do that too. Because I was like, this billionaire is telling me to do it. And a few weeks later, I actually got a call from Peter Thiel's office asking me if I wanted to accept the Thiel Fellowship, which is a $100,000 grant that gives entrepreneurs the freedom to drop out of school. They can do anything with that money. So I had two offers from really amazing, um, you know, icons in the business world. So I was like, all right, sorry, mom and dad, I'm dropping out of school. I got to do this. There is literally no other time where it feels like so much of the world has come aligned to tell me to do something. So um, that is kind of my crazy experience. Definitely mostly luck. So uh, I'm very, very thankful. That. That's amazing. Yeah, taking advantage of your circumstances and situation and, and running with it. So so your world was turned upside down and not really upside down, but like over in three weeks. Is that like Yeah, it was the craziest period of my life because I mean, I guess my injury was way more crazy, but from at the time when I was younger, it yeah. was the craziest period of my life because I knew nothing about startups and raising funding and venture capital. You know, I was reading all these big headlines about Silicon Valley and then I moved there, got to experience it. I got to 
meet other people who are living the same type of life as me and uh, realize that, hey, I'm not grossly underqualified. I do belong here. So uh, that's really um, you know, what I learned along the way. You know, we've talked to other successful business owners along the way, um, much like yourself. And, and the, the word you use, I, I love, they, they always repeat, which is it was luck, you know, which, which is funny because, of course, you know, luck is where opportunity meets preparation. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like exactly what it was for me is that, you know, like when you had the opportunity to meet Mark Cuban, you were sticking your hand up and waving it wildly and, you know, you know trying to get in his face. You know, whereas I think a lot of people would have frozen. I think that's a natural tendency of a lot. So there's some natural ability about you that has caused you to keep going and keep pushing forward and keep pursuing these things and not delay. Um, you know, what would you attribute this to? Is this something in your, is this nature nurture? I mean, do you have any insight on this? Yeah, I think um, just really, I think being someone who is comfortable with new situations Um I think I can really attribute that to my upbringing. Um, I moved around a lot as a kid. I actually lived in, I think, about 13 different houses until I was 18. So moved to a bunch of different schools. I was always the new kid. Always had to make friends. So I couldn't really afford to be shy if I wanted any friends. And I felt like that helped me be able to just speak up or be myself or you know, be someone who is outgoing even though I have to force myself almost every single time. Like every inch in my body was telling me not to raise my hand because I didn't have anything prepared. Once I got on the stage, I'm like, all right, now what, right? I have to do it. So um, it definitely isn't natural to me, but it's something that I've had to do many, many times in my life. Excellent. So let's go to, uh, let's go to VinoVest now. So VinoVest was your next venture. And obviously, again, you were already looking at alternative assets, you know, the cryptos and such, and, and you, you stumbled across fine wines. So kind of to walk us through how that came to be and, and kind of where you, you know, your path to where you are now. Yeah. Um, so I was interested in it because I love to drink wine. I love to invest. Um, but when I started learning more about the space, I realized that it was really just an old boys club, right? If you think of a wine collector, you probably think of some really rich old dude with the you know giant cellar, you know, one of maybe one of the Koch brothers, right? It's uh, something that felt like something only rich people could participate in. And that just really struck a nerve with me because I think that a big reason why there's such a large gap in you know in wealth for people is their ability to access the right investment opportunities, right? There's so many gatekeepers and um, in any, in any asset, right? Whether it be startup investing or real estate investing, like there's always gatekeepers. So I wanted to be able to be that platform or create a platform that could actually remove those barriers or make those barriers a lot more accessible for people who maybe they like to invest. They've never heard of fine wine. Maybe they know nothing about wine investing or even drinking wine, but they can still in under five minutes become a wine investor on our website. And, and what hurdles did you uh, go through to get started in that? Sounds like there's a lot of gatekeeper. I don't know much about wine personally, but it sounds like there's a lot of gatekeepers. So how did you navigate that? Yeah, there, there absolutely are. I think it was just a lot of, uh, a lot of un, unanswered emails, a lot of just calling people out of the blue, just wanting to learn more about the industry because um, I was an industry outsider, right? I was just a, a normal consumer and just getting really, really positive feedback 
was something that I think kept me going. I was like, all right, if this is going to actually be welcomed by the industry, I think it's something where maybe the gatekeepers or the people who are gatekeepers are um, really not there to stay, right? If the people who are actually creating the wine, if the people who are actually interacting with customers all want this, what are the gatekeepers really for? Probably just like prestige and elitism. So um, it was just a lot of, I think, calling in the, in the beginning to really make sure that this was an idea worth, um, you know, worth the next 10, 15 years of my life to dedicate to. Did you have a backup plan or was, was this uh, all oh, in? Yeah. I mean, I, I come up with probably an idea a week um, and I pitch it to my friends or I pitch it to my fiance and they all shoot it down. So I probably went through around like 25, 30 shitty ideas before coming on this one. And everyone's like, oh, that's actually not too bad. That's interesting. And I was like, okay, sweet. I got to get going on this <laughs> one then. So um, yeah, definitely have my own, uh, own quality control as well before I even started it. Anthony, I could tell from what you mentioned, of course, that when you came up with this idea, you just threw a landing page up just to see what kind of interest it would get. And, you know, you mentioned earlier that you default to action, which I love that statement, you know, that just, you know, t- taking action right away. It reminded me of a book I read a couple years back. Have you read Ask by Ryan Levesque? That is an amazing book. Yes. Right. Okay, good. I'm glad you agree with that. That, that reminded me of that, you know, just the idea of it, figure out what people want, you know, don't try to figure it out for them, you know, figure out what they want. And that's kind of what you did. You low cost, uh, low involvement input to put that landing page that, you know, that squeeze page or whatever it was out there to get interest, um, you know, and, and I admire that. So, so kudos to that. Um, I'd be curious if you could, if you could walk us through maybe more of kind of how VinoVest operates. And then of course, you know, where it's come. Absolutely. So um, we're really assuming that the people that come to our website know nothing about investing in wine. What do they know, though? They know that they want to invest in an alternative asset. They know how much they want to invest most of the time. And they probably know how long they're planning on investing it for. So based on those three factors, um, so your risk tolerance, your time horizon, as well as your investment amount, we built out an algorithm that can take those inputs and turn that into a wine portfolio. So we actually have software that does all the heavy lifting, and then we actually go ahead and buy those cases of wine. So these are real bottles that we store for you in our temperature-controlled facilities, fully insured, and we give you, the end user, an awesome dashboard where you can track the price of your wine, learn more about why you bought about them, learn about the history of the wines. So. Um, you know, we really wanted to design this to be super smooth and easy for anybody to use. Um, so that's really a little bit about how it works. want to make it really accessible and have people learn along the way. And in terms of where we've been, I mean, I think we launched the business right at the start of the lockdowns last year. And I was like, oh boy, is this the worst time ever to launch an investing business when the, you know, the stock market was crashing so heavily in the end of last February, right? Um, Turns out people were flooding to alternative assets and that trend really hasn't stopped. So we've seen this huge tailwind of people from all over the world coming to our site, um, really being interested and, you know, coming to our site. So we've actually doubled our business just in the last four months alone um, and raised, you know, recently raised a round of funding also to be able to fuel that growth. Um, So I feel incredibly lucky to be able to now be in the space to, hire a ton of amazing people, still be able to meet customers every day and learn about their stories and learn about why they're coming to our site. What can we do to be able to really complete the picture of their portfolio 
and get them a diversified portfolio that can last, you know, many recessions into the future. You know, Anthony, when I first heard this, I, it, it almost sounded like it had some novelty factor to it until I actually looked into your website and I was impressed by what I saw, you know, I mean, it looks like I'm looking at, you know, my stockbroker's website, you know, and looking at the individual investments. I thought that was pretty, pretty neat setup. Um, and just a couple of quick questions I want to ask, because I'm curious, you mentioned obviously having the algorithm and such. Um, what is the, if I had a high risk tolerance and a, and a low investment time window, what's the best wine for that? Do you know offhand? Yeah, that's a great question. So if you're going really aggressive and have a shorter time window, uh, we would definitely pick wines that we believe are going to be hitting that, you know, kind of maturity peak in the next, say, like year or two. So these would typically be lower wine, uh, older wines um, from really established regions that have high secondary market liquidity. So thinking about wines from Bordeaux or Burgundy, um, probably things that are close to 15, 20 years old, because those are really ready to drink now and have a ton of drinkers interest. So those would likely be the types of wines that our algorithm would, would buy for you um, and say, if you want to go the other side, right? You're like, all right, I want this for maybe 10, 15 years and I'm willing to be, um, you know, willing to kind of ride everything out. Um, I think wine futures are really, really interesting. So this is just buying wine that's not just already bottled, but um, still in barrels at the winery. So you're essentially getting them for say 90, 80 cents on the dollar, providing working capital for the winery, but then also being able to have a long-term outlook and pretty much guaranteeing your um, your cost basis because you're getting it at a discounted lease price. So those are, I think, pretty good options on, on both sides of the spectrum for investors. And I'm impressed. So, That's uh, it, it. You put a lot into it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, and and so you you love wine. Is your team also uh, the same as you? I think uh, all of us uh, enjoy a nice glass here and there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but we've got people who are maybe just know the difference between red and white when they come in, and people who have passed the master's sommeliers exam. So um, I think it's really awesome to have that sort of diversity and knowledge, as well as background, to be able to have a lot of learning and exchange that knowledge, um, which makes a lot of our company gatherings a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I would imagine, yeah. Um, and, and kind of based on your history, so are you in software? or with Envoy now and, and, or did you just hire the right people to get, get those platforms going? Yeah. So I, I'm not technical. I do not know how to code, but uh, what I do know is how to sell and how to sell to the right people to join my team, sell to the right customers to buy my product. Right. Right. And having, having a, a good leadership team and, and team that'll help you get to where you want to go. Exactly. Hiring people that are much better and smarter than me at what they do. <laughs> yeah. And I always appreciate the story by Henry Ford about, uh, you know, knowing the right person, being able to know who to ask. Right. I don't need to yeah. know everything. I just need to know the right people. Yeah. That's such, I think, a brilliant way. And I think a very sustainable way to grow a business because you try to learn everything, your brain's going to explode. You got to let go sometimes and uh, be able to trust those people that you hired. You know, Anthony, we deal with, and we work with a lot of small business owners and entrepreneurs. And I think the most common problem that they encounter is that they fail to leverage when they should and to, and to bring in the right people and the right team. What can you share kind of your secret as to how you've built your team and how you've 
you know, scaled so that you don't, you aren't the one on the front line doing everything? It's really hard. Um, you know, especially I'm, I'm going through that right now with this company. Um, we were, I think six full-time employees at the start of the year. Now we're 16. So three X the size of the team in the last quarter or so. And it has been a lot of me just being able to take what's inside my brain, the tribal knowledge that we have between six people, um, a lot of this individual contributor type of work and be able to a let go of it and b be able to have someone, you know, really run with it so that you can free up your brain space and your time for other things that the business needs. So, um, you know, I tell my team all the time that the CEO that a company needs at 10 people is a completely different person than the CEO that a company needs at 50 people or hundred people. So I need to be constantly up leveling myself or I'm going to work myself out of the job as the company grows. And every single employee should also think about that too, right? There's, there's people that are great in the early stages, um, but there's also people that we need to be able to be in those scaling stages as well. And we want to keep everybody for as long as possible. But I think the biggest cause of employee turnover or just firing an employee is that their needs or their abilities are not matching up with what the company needs and what the company is asking for. So we really encourage a learning and a growth mindset across company-wide so we can be able to have people that emerge better. You know, Whether they stay with us for, for two years or five years or forever, we want them to be better when they, when they leave us than when they came. Perfect, Anthony. Well, I, I'm really grateful for you sharing your story today. Um, you know, I guess we're curious because, you know, I, you've, you've made some large leaps and bounds in the businesses that you've formed and helped grow. Um, where is where is VinoVest going next and where are you going next? So VinoVest, I think we're in the perfect time right now where there's this massive wealth transfer to millennials. And I really believe that a millennials portfolio is not going to look like a 60 40. It's going to be so eclectic, reflecting their passions, reflecting uh, their interests, and wine and spirits are a huge part of a lot of people's lives. Um, so we really think that we can grow VinoVest into being a massive business, the easiest place for people to buy, sell, value wine and spirits, and be able to really unlock this asset class that really has only been available to ultra wealthy people. Uh, for me, I love wine. I love talking about wine. I'm learning more and more every day, both on the business side and also just like talking to winemakers. The agriculture side really interests me, even though that's really not something our business touches. But for me, this is sort of the perfect business because I would probably be doing this on my spare time anyways if I didn't have this job. Awesome. Uh, and just to touch base on the block folio, block, block folio excuse me, um, in terms of uh, investing there, I mean, I think everyone probably wants to know, what do you think about um, crypto and the, yeah. <laughs> where that's going? So, I mean, I'm obviously very biased. I've been you know, <laughs> in this space, but uh, I think it's, it's similar like wine where it has scarcity, right? Bitcoin. Um, there's only going to be 21 million of it. It's getting harder and harder to produce and, um, they're never going to be able to make more of it. So it's purely a supply and demand thing. Um, and I think in terms of the actual underlying technology, we're not there yet with, I think a lot of the tokens when they're intended use case, but 
What's here to stay is the speculation. You know, people love the fact that it is 24-7. People love the fact that it is global. It is reducing barriers. Um, and that, I think, is a very, very powerful thing in itself. Regardless of what crypto you're buying and what it does, it is, you know, I think, here to stay and something that everybody, you know, just throw in 10 bucks, even if you don't believe in it, just learn about it. Because I think just that fact that you have a little bit of skin in the game is going to make you a lot more motivated to at least understand what is going on if you're not in crypto yet. And would you say that's part of our future is, is that type of currency? Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, Adam, is there, do you have any other additional questions for Anthony before we head on to the yeah. So Anthony, before we get into our lightning round, um, first off for any listeners who are curious, cause I know we have a lot of wine listeners uh, or wine lovers listening. Um, where can they find out more about VinoVest and more about you? So for me, I'm pretty accessible on Twitter. My handle is Anthony underscore J underscore Zhang. So first middle last name. And then our website is VinoVest.co. So vinovest.co um, and we're really accessible you can talk to anybody live um, you can even book a dedicated call with one of our portfolio advisor experts to really walk you through the market and what we're seeing and uh, i think it's a fun thing whether you like wine or not the numbers really speak for themselves it's a very attractive asset class and i think it's definitely a cherry on top of people who also understand and enjoy wine and what does it take for someone to get started investing in wine so our minimum is $1,000. That'll get you a couple cases of really amazing investment grade wine. Um, and you can start from there, really build up your portfolio. Um, you know, I think like any long-term asset, it takes a while to build up the collection to where you want it to be. Same with building a real estate portfolio or building a stock portfolio. So uh, we encourage people to just try it out, put some money, learn about the platform, learn about the asset class. And if it is for you, then build up. Now, I'm sure like a, or a typical stock portfolio, you have the options to buy and sell. Is there an option to consume? There is. Uh, highly recommend against drinking your profits. We're here to make money, not drink money. But uh, right, someone's going to drink it. And if, say, you, know, you have an awesome year, maybe you doubled your profits, want to take a little bit of profit off the top, that is absolutely something that you can do because you own real wine. So you'll ship it to them? Yeah, we can ship it to them uh, wherever you are globally. And um, yeah, that's a kind of another little fun perk of the platform. I think it's a great one. <laughs> well, and that's one of the things that we like about uh, the RV park world, which is what we're in. And uh, being able to utilize your the asset that you're Absolutely. investing in. <laughs> yeah. Utility is important, right? Yep. Unfortunately, you know, if you buy gold, you can't really visit that block of gold or get it hauled over to your home. But uh, you know, with things like RV parks or um, you know, owning rental real estate or wine, right? You can, you can use it and enjoy it. That's exactly. right. Well, Anthony, we're grateful for your time today. You know, our, our listeners would like to get a little bit more insight as to, you know, who you are and what drives you. So we have our lightning round. We call the brain pick. Um, Justin, you want to take that up? Absolutely. All right. First question of five. What is your superpower or unique natural ability? I think it's perseverance. Um, don't give up even when I'm probably supposed to, but it's really, really helped open a lot of doors because you don't know 
I think how close you are to your result until you just try one more time. All right. If you were to go back three to five years, what might have you done differently or could or would have done? I think it's really just caring about what other people think. I used to be really, really, I think, afraid about others' opinions, afraid about what they would think about me, um, you know, with dropping out of school, with running this business, um, with my injury and things like that. But now um, feeling pretty great when I don't really care what other people think other than other than my team and, and my and my my uh, my people that I love. Sure, sure. Uh, where are you headed in the next three to five years? You know, best massive business managing multiple billions of dollars and hopefully become a public business in the next five or so years. Okay. Well, we'll be watching for that for sure. Uh, what is your favorite book on business or money? Recently read Working Backwards. So this is an awesome book by Amazon executives that worked with Jeff during the early days. And just talk about a lot of the cultural values and changes that they implemented early in the business that helped Amazon kind of become as iconic as it is today. So um, awesome, awesome book. It can apply to any business, no matter what stage you're at. So I highly recommend it. Great. I'll add it yet. I don't have to go on the list. Yep, absolutely. Going right on the list right now. (laughs) Uh, And and, uh, what has been your biggest aha moment? I think for me, my biggest aha moment was actually visiting a winery. Uh, So I was um, up in Napa with my now fiance and just, I think, you know, we we drank wine from grocery stores at restaurants, but just like going up there, really seeing the whole agricultural aspect of it, really seeing, I think, the care and love that they put into this product and being able also Mm -hmm. to taste wines that were older and seeing, you know, really the change in the appreciation of those wines. Uh, it completely, I think, just shifted my perspective and maybe I think value wine a lot more. Um, that's when I think really just kicked off a hobby that turned into an obsession that turns down to a business. All right. Got to love what you do. Absolutely. <laughs> Anthony, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Um, you know, I think your story really shows anybody that, it, you know, with the right mindset, the right, the right vision you can really achieve these things you want to achieve. I mean, especially with a boatload of perseverance. Absolutely. That's the way you got to do it. All right. right. Yeah. Anthony, I really appreciate talking to you today and it's great to meet you. Uh, Hopefully we can connect again soon and, um, you know, have a further discussion on investing with you later. Yeah, absolutely. Justin. Definitely. And Justin's putting his money in some cryptos now, but I'm going to go look at putting my money in some wine. There you go. See five years later who comes out on top. That's it. <laughs> Anthony, thank you so much for your time today. Um, your information for VinoVest and your Twitter will be in the show notes. Um, nice. Thanks for visiting. Uh, and everybody, thanks for listening. So this has been another episode of the Wealth Watchers Podcast. All right, guys. Until next time. This has been the Wealth Watchers Podcast. If you enjoyed this content, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about Wealth Watchers and our parent company, Happy Camper Capital, please visit happycampercapital.com.